0: All right. So today we have a guest on the podcast. Uh, We have Bonnie, the author of, Bonnie, could you say your last name? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Bonnie Eisenman. Eisenman. Okay. I wasn't that far off. So Bonnie Eisenman, who is the author of a new book on React Native. um, And you're an engineer at Twitter right now, correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, I started at Twitter a couple months ago. And before that, I was doing React stuff at Codecademy. Oh,
0: cool. Um, so we're, we're excited to, especially since, uh, a few of us have, I mean, I poked at React Native when it was first, you know, the like, don't tell anyone that I gave you the source code of React Native. <laughs> um, and then javon has been doing some stuff in it. I think Len's played with it a little bit. So we're definitely excited to have you on the show.
1: Yeah. I'm really excited to be here. Should be fun.
0: <laughs> so, um. I know, I kind of want, I, I want, like, Jervon to ask a question, perhaps, since he's been doing React Native <laughs> with ClojureScript. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah.
2: Uh, so does that mean Twitter is going to start doing React stuff?
1: <laughs> so everyone keeps asking me that. Um, ironically, I am on a backend team at Twitter. Uh, I'm not touching mobile at all, so I can't, uh, I honestly, uh, your guess is as good as mine.
3: <laughs> does that mean Scala? these days so
1: yeah so so these days I've been doing a lot of learning Scala um yeah all Scala all the time
0: so how'd you decide to move to a back-end team
1: um there was a lot of stuff that went on with that um honestly the shortest answer is that my friend recruited me <laughs> <laughs> oh that's
0: cool so like so you had a friend yeah. there and you wanted to work together
1: yeah, exactly. Um, his team was hiring. And so the New York portion of our team is now him, myself, and one other person, which is pretty great. Um, and I'd wanted to get to do a little bit more backend end anyway. Um, at Codecademy, I was actually full stack because there were only like eight engineers or something uh, in the whole company. Oh, um, wow. So um, yeah. it's still I, small. Yeah, it's a pretty small team over there. Um, but yeah, so I still get to do my React Native stuff um, and other front end things on the side. Um, and Twitter is pretty supportive of speaking and stuff like that, which is pretty great.
0: Yeah. I'm actually in, I'm, I'm in fairly, fairly similar position in that I'm on a services team and work on mainly an API gateway, but also some DNS stuff here and there and mm. things like that. And then I'm on, you know, the JavaScript Air show. And so, <laughs> so I, it's, I'm happy to meet another person who's in that. Like, I feel like we kind of get, or especially if you write, Um, you know, you end up with, like, a brand or things you're known for. And -hmm. then because programming, like, you do what you need to do for whatever job you have, and then you end up not doing that anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I, like, I really enjoy getting to do a lot of different things. Um, So, like, yeah, my main brand is around the JavaScript work I do and the React stuff I do. Um, but, like, I've also given talks about, like, musical programming and stuff like that, which is just totally unrelated to my professional work, but still really fun. Um, cool. What's the
0: what's yeah. the musical programming about?
1: Um, so there's a language called Chuck uh, that I sometimes use. There's a couple other ones. And I really enjoy um, sort of creating electronic musical instruments, although I have had to put those projects aside a little bit while I was working on the book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, understandably. <laughs> um,
1: But so, like, combining, like, Arduino and physical electronic stuff with musical programming to create, like, weird interfaces out of, like, light or water, things like that. Um, Oh, cool. Sometimes get to do. Yeah.
0: You know, since we always have to end up mentioning Philadelphia, there is a group in Philadelphia (laughs) that uh, makes music from plants. Um, Oh. So have you heard of them, the Data Garden?
1: Yeah. It sounds really cool.
0: Yeah, so they're they're really fun when you can go to an event and like you touch the plant and because, you know, you have electricity and the plant has electricity that you change the output. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty neat. And they're and I think all their the digital albums are generally like donate to download or if you or if you buy I think it's if you buy an album, what they do since it's all MP threes is what they mail you is actually an album cover that's made out of seed paper.
3: Uh, uh, I got one of these that – uh
0: yeah, I got yeah, I think I got one at a party once or something. And that's pretty
3: cool.
1: Yeah. It's it's pretty pretty hip.
3: <laughs> Neat.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so you were saying earlier um, that the first time you touched React Native, um, it was back when it was in the stage of, Oh, don't don't tell anyone that I gave you secret early access, right? Yeah. Um, it's kind of ironic that you mentioned that now because I think we're like exactly a year from the point where they did the private data.
0: It is. It was, it was about, yeah. um, I think I got it like the first or second week in March was when we like did a thing with it. Hmm. We like, we seriously yeah. like closed the door. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and like my friend who was like, I don't know, I guess he has friends with the React team and they were like, I don't know, it's one of those things where it's probably just a really clever marketing thing of like, we're going to tell like a (laughs) hundred (laughs) people that we only gave it to them. And then, um, then they'll like show it to all their friends in you know, random closed rooms.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a really clever tactic. I was, um, I was at the conference actually, I was speaking when they, and then they announced that, um, and I suspect that the the motivation may have been partially marketing, but also it might have partially been, let's hurry up and make sure we've got all the bugs out, especially from the documentation um, <laughs> before we do a real release. Um, but it was really funny watching the way it spread.
0: That's true. It's nice when you can release something like that and kind of like tamper expectations, let like your dampen expectations mm-hmm. a little yeah. bit. Because it is. Um, and I mean, I think rightly so. I think we have such a high expectation for major open source projects that, like, when major open source projects launch, that they're going to have beautiful documentation and a fantastic onboarding process and all this stuff. <laughs> like, otherwise, I mean, I think about, you know, especially like large, like, I'm, I guess I'm referring to especially like large company efforts if you look at like how like the sheer number of things that like the Facebook open source team is open sourced or, you mm-hmm. know, or really like the Netflix team, like the Netflix open source team, they have open sourced like so many things, but then they aren't necessarily things you'll hear about all the time. Um right. And that's not because they aren't good. Like, oh, they're, you know, really good. And like, they do have pretty good documentation, but they don't have like this whole like marketing and branding effort as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes a huge difference, right? Like, Uh, Developers are people just like any other kind of people when it comes down to it, right? If you haven't heard of something, if people aren't talking about it and recommending it and explaining how to actually make it useful to you, it takes a lot more effort to get started. Um, But yeah, like, especially with big companies, I think partially the reason why we have such high expectations is because, well, theoretically, that's somebody's full-time job, right? Like, this is a professional product, even if it's open source.
0: Well, that's a. I mean, that's always a fun topic, though. Of like, <laughs> what like whether open source has to be someone's full time job in order for it to be a valid open source project to use. Because mm-hmm. um, then it's like the feedback loop of like, well, then someone has to pay for that, but then it's like free labor, and so yeah, but un- yeah, yeah, it gets kind of circular.
1: Right. Definitely. I mean, you know. How to get around the free labor problem while you know still wrangling people and how to treat volunteers well is like a really hard problem. It's not one I expect anyone to like solve perfectly. Um, but you know I think when there's a large corporate effort behind something and the corporation is clearly benefiting, uh, then people do expect some level of contribution, which I think makes a lot of sense.
0: Do you buy into any of the uh, like conspiracy theory parts of like <laughs> large company open source projects?
1: What do you mean by conspiracy theories?
0: Like that, um, like that React is just a recruiting effort. Um, ah,
1: I don't, honestly, I haven't heard that much of that kind of discussion, um, Mm. I mean, I don't think I have to believe that it's a conspiracy for it to be (laughs) to be a recruiting effort. (laughs) Right. Like, why wouldn't it be a recruiting effort? Right. It's like you've got a company saying, hey, look, we've got a team of people who are working on this thing and it's useful for you. And you can look at it and tell that it's useful for you and that like the people working on it are behaving like, you know, nice human beings. And why wouldn't that be a recruiting effort? Right. That's like the most genuine kind of thing that you could do. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. So that doesn't feel like a conspiracy to me. Um, I mean, I think the real answer is just that React solves problems that Facebook had. Um, like The whole reason why I think React has taken off is that a lot of people think that it solves the problems that they have, which is like what a tool should do. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Conspiracies sometimes are a bit grander than <laughs> what I at least see, but I don't know.
2: So were you into mobile development before you got into React Native, or was it just... So easy and fun that you got into it.
1: Um, both, I guess. Uh, except I wouldn't say I was into mobile development, more that I had been scared away from it. Um, I had actually said before React Native came out, I had sworn to never touch mobile again because it was such an experience. Um, so I had done some iOS and some Android development at Google and Fog Creek Software, respectively. Um, and, you know, I think it's really awesome to be able to create really good quality mobile apps, I think, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff you can do on mobile. Um, but the development process is just feels like pulling teeth a lot of the time. Um, I don't know, it never quite felt like the developer experience got the love that it could have. Um, on so
3: mobile? then
1: on mobile, yeah, like, I don't know, wrestling with Xcode is not my favorite. <laughs> um, and do I mean, you, do it, you think that that's changed a little bit with Swift? So that's the thing, right? Like, I hadn't, uh, my iOS experience was before Swift came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have not tried Swift. Um, well, I've, like, done a few tutorials in Swift, but not enough to actually have, like, well-formed opinions about it. Um, but anyway, so React Native came out, and I was like, well, clearly I have to try this. Um, so then I tried it, uh, and it was actually, I thought, pretty pleasant. Uh, like, I was really excited by how easy it was to get started, um, and then to like actually keep building larger apps with it. I thought that it was a pretty impressive effort. Uh, What people keep saying though is that like, you know, it wouldn't have mattered if Facebook had tried it, like tried doing this React for mobile, this JavaScript for mobile approach. What matters is if they do it well. Um, And so like, I think React Native is surging in popularity because for the most part, they did it really, really well. But I don't know. What do you, what about you all? Uh, Do you have, like, were you doing normal mobile development before?
2: I've tried it only for fun stuff, and I've bought stuff like RubyMotion, but never really got too far with it because it's mostly for hobby, not for
0: mm-hmm.
2: paying jobs. And then uh, came across React Native and started playing with it. It was fun. Uh, I haven't done any like production stuff with it; I just play with it on the side, follow the updates.
1: <laughs> How have you have you found it? Oh, sorry.
3: I was going to say, I actually bought my first Mac because I wanted to make iPhone apps uh, when the iPhone mm. 3G came out and the App Store came out. Um, and I was not uh, a programmer at that point. I was just kind of doing it as a hobby. And I didn't really understand how um, the iOS framework, uh, I guess, Coco or whatever, um, how how like delegates and everything worked. I, I didn't really have a good understanding of that. And so mm-hmm. then a couple of years ago, I bought Ruby Motion when it first came out. Uh, and I was uh, kind of an intermediate Ruby developer at that point, and I had an iPhone app I wanted to make for a website that was a side project, and I had like a working prototype done in maybe four hours, and then in a month I had an app in the App Store that was pretty much bug free. Um, that's awesome! Yeah, so I I, I really liked uh, RubyMotion for the just for like being able to learn one thing at a time, like learn the framework and not necessarily a new language like Objective C. But I think if I do hmm. it today, I would definitely try to do it in Swift. If I was making it an iOS app. Um, React Native is uh,
2: interesting, though. I, I want to learn more about that. Cool. Bonnie, what would you say is the most compelling argument for React Native?
1: Um, so I think the most compelling argument for React Native is one, like, total code reuse, or at least the possibility of it across iOS and Android. Like, you don't have to use, reuse all your code, but you can, and that's really awesome. Um, and also, it's just, I think, a, uh, faster and more pleasant, like, mobile development experience. Um, so you get, like, faster turnaround time. You get code and knowledge sharing across your teams. Um, and it really breaks down the silos of, like, web developer, Android developer, iOS developer. And if you're working on a project where you're doing all three of those, like, coordin- not having to, uh, treat all of them as separate projects is pretty awesome. Uh, like, the first time, so I built like a flashcard app uh, as part of writing the book, um, and I built it with React Native for iOS before Android support had launched. And then Android support came out, and I hit run, and it worked, <laughs> um, which was just like really cool. So.
2: I think so you you are already uh, sort of separating your code, or I guess <clears throat> isn't there the thing where like you have to put Android specific stuff in the Android files. Like you're already doing that, like using components?
1: So um, there's boilerplate that you need for an iOS app and boilerplate that you need for an Android app for the project as a whole. Um, So like for iOS, that means you need an Xcode project. For Android, you need like, you know, the usual Android boilerplate and like a build file and stuff like that. Um, But for your actual code that describes your application, uh, you don't, need to have separate versions of that for each platform um, unless you're doing like platform specific stuff like you know uh, ios and android have slightly different apis around certain things um, yeah just the same react code will work for both um, and you will occasionally want to write platform specific code and it's easy to do that like i don't know i think on android and ios you usually have tab bars at different parts of the screen right
2: um, Yes, navigator or navigator ios or something like that
1: well, so the navigator is actually the same between the two. Uh, okay, I would I would not use Navigator iOS. <laughs> it's had a deprecation mark on it for I think since the second month of React Native or something. Um, what is that but, like? It's like
0: you make something and they're like, "Well, that was a terrible idea." Like-
1: so, yeah, I mean, I think that there was a lot of like API churn basically, um, especially in the first couple months. Um, we're now like a year out, so like things have stabilized. But that was basically, they implemented the JavaScript Navigator API, which is cool and which works. And, you know, you can push states on and pop states off. But iOS is its own thing. And they kind of started implementing it. And a lot of people really wanted it. And then I think the Facebook team was like, oh, wait, we don't actually think that that's useful. But y'all can keep it and work on it if you want. <laughs> like, eh, if it uh, works for you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the way that they've approached it in general is there's some stuff that they just flag is like, if you want this, this is a community responsibility. We're not going to work on it. Oh, um, okay. But we will support you if you want to make pull requests and we'll help you figure out how. Um, the most notable example of that, I think, is Linux and Windows support, right? Like, as it stands, React Native, you should be developing on a Mac. That's like the platform that is primarily supported mm-hmm. because you need a Mac in order to Android build to iOS apps. To, yeah,
0: whereas you can yeah. do Android wherever.
1: Right. So you can do Android wherever. So it would make sense to be able to do React Native for Android wherever. Um, Mm -hmm. But for the most part, my understanding is that Linux and Windows support is sort of treated as like a community responsibility. Mm. Uh, Okay. And so it works. Uh, You can do it. Uh, It's just, uh, you know, not necessarily the focus of the core team. Interesting. Back to the whole how to balance, like, (laughs) corporation and community responsibilities, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that's also a a big thing. I mean, I know, like, at my job, like, that is a conversation when you want to open source something of, like, are you prepared for the possibility of, you know, like, having to manage a, like, not really a large community, but, like, at least, like, the minimum is, like, are you prepared to, like, you know, not do abandonware? Like, that looks Mm -hmm. really, really bad. So don't do that. So you have to, you know, have someone, like, who's assigned, like, what I think what a few of the projects do is they assign, they rotate maintainer weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and because like most of them, you know, like are pretty fine. And then every so often, like a pull request comes in. And it's like, oh, well, that's a good idea. Let's do that then. Um, with possibly, there's always like some, there often is some back and forth. Because, you know, there's like that, that gap between like how a particular project likes to merge things and how contributors might submit a patch. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, so that's how they do it and just kind of rotate responsibility to make sure someone's always looking at it so it doesn't... I mean, you see those repositories sometimes where, like, a thing's been merged in a year and it has, like, a hundred
1: pull requests. Yeah, yeah, it's always sad when that happens. Um, Yeah, I mean, for now, the React Native team seems to be doing a pretty good job of, like, taking on the maintainer admin work. But it is a ton of, like, maintenance and even just, like, logistics and people wrangling, like... Oh my goodness, waiting through all the GitHub issues.
0: <laughs> yeah. So have you have you contributed to React Native at all or checked it out in that way?
1: <laughs> um, I actually haven't because I was up until recently I was spending so much time writing the book. Uh true, uh,
0: so true. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um occasionally I would hit things and I'd be like, Oh man, I I should probably submit a pull request. On the other hand, I've done a bunch of this today anyway. I might be done for the day. Um yeah. yeah to be think, honest like writing a book while also holding a full-time job is a uh, an endeavor that sort of precludes taking on other side projects
0: definitely well and how did you end up getting so i mean you we, you mentioned how react native only came out about a year ago and like now you've written a book like how did you get <laughs> in contact with like how did publishers respond with that kind of speed i'm curious about that with like really new technology because you like you aren't you don't work at Facebook, so you didn't have like a super inside track,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it was actually sort of a combination of really happy circumstance. Um, so I went to React Conf. Um, I was speaking about how CodeCam uses React for web, um, and they announced React Native, and like I was super excited about it, um, and like ran home and immediately started like building some prototypes. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a fun plane ride, um, but. So I had done some writing as well as some speaking on React. Um and so a publisher actually reached out to me initially to ask about writing a general React book. Um and through this like series of kind of random events, I ended up on the phone pitching to O'Reilly for like an hour. (laughs) Um and they already of
0: of like, you want to talk about React, but really this is the thing we should do now.
1: Yeah, so they already had somebody who was lined up to write a more general React book. Um, and, you know, react at that time, I think like in terms of react hype, it was definitely taking off around like mid 2015, Mm -hmm. um, maybe, or, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I would agree. Or even like late 2014, I think the curve really started picking up. Um, so, you know, they already had somebody who was thinking of doing a react book and I was like, well, there's this new thing. Obviously this is like really, really new and, you know, bleeding edge uh it's unclear if there's a market for it yet because it's not even public yet. Um but I would like to write a book on it. Um and you know we worked everything out. <laughs> um I think it was definitely a challenge, right? Like when Android support came out a month before my first draft was due, that was a moment of panic, but <laughs> it was pretty great.
0: Yeah, so that's also an interesting thing of writing on an emerging technology that I mean, it's changing from underneath you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not as much as other things, because at least React Native was based in React. So did that help at all, or was it still really challenging to, like, have to update things as they came?
1: Yeah, so the fact that it was based in React meant that there was some level of stability. Um, and But also, like, you know, even if the implementation details of things changed, um, like the general stuff that you'll need to make mobile apps work, like that's going to stay pretty similar. Um, And like the goal of the book is to take you from hello world all the way up to writing like a fully functional application that you can deploy to the iOS app store and the Google play store. So like the topics I wanted to cover stayed pretty solid. Um, You actually, you turn in a sample table of contents when you propose a book to a publisher, like with the sections and subsections listed out. Um, And I made not that many edits to it. Um, but yeah, so like, even when like implementation details changed, it would just be like, okay, let me run around and rework my explanations and my code samples a bit. Um, but the harder part is definitely just like designing what kinds of lessons you want to present. So also it, it like, there was a ton of churn in like the first month or two of React Native and then everything settled down a lot. So that was lucky. <laughs> It was also odd because, right, like like you said, I'm not an insider at Facebook, so I wouldn't know when stuff was going to drop. Like, I was in contact with them, um, and they were, like, very helpful and supportive during the process, but, like, certain things still took me by surprise.
0: Yeah, they can't, like, necessarily, I don't know, if you had a really good friend, <laughs> to be like, all right, I'm going to be the inside track.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, you know, in general, it was, uh, a really awesome experience and the team at Facebook was, uh, super supportive. So do you, but, so now,
0: so I guess, um, we can definitely come back to talking about the book more, but I kind of want to ask, like, so you're saying, like, so it takes so much work to write the book and now, hooray, the book is out.
1: What are you doing <laughs> now?
0: <laughs> are you relaxing for a bit or?
1: Yeah, so I made a resolution for 2016 to do fewer projects. Um. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm relaxing a bit. um I am still doing like some speaking and working on like a React native workshop um, and then I'm also you know remembering that I have friends and hobbies and things like that um I am so one of the thing main things I do outside of tech stuff is I really enjoy learning languages, so I'm starting sign language classes actually next week, um which I'm super pumped about oh cool are you yeah.
0: and you're in new york so mhm okay
1: i have a, a friend who um
0: who studied at at um like well cuz like, i used to live in dc and so uh we have we had Gallaudet there um which is a a deaf and hard of hearing school and so they have really good classes but i'm sure cool. in new york you don't have a problem finding really good classes <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah Really yeah, cool. so, uh, yeah. Have, Learning not programming is also a, a fun a fun topic of turn complete. <laughs> the programming podcast where sometimes we never talk about programming. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's done,
1: something I can get behind. <laughs> yeah.
2: Have you done any React outside of mobile and web? Have some people are building bridges to other things.
1: Like desktop
0: hmm. or electronics, you mean?
2: Or um, I guess why
0: would you wouldn't you would need an interface
1: for it to be useful, right? Yeah.
2: So yeah, so like uh, I Apple guess like...
1: Watch or like DVD player or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah DVD player. <laughs> well, I or mean, I, I, I'm not joking about that. Like Netflix did that. Um, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix talk from React Conf last year, but they basically like implemented React Native simultaneously with the Facebook team without knowing it, but for like a few hundred DVD players and TVs and stuff.
0: Is that like with Falcor or with something else?
1: Um, It's their own proprietary thing. I forget um, what it's or, called.
0: Okay. Um, I mean, I've, I've noticed oops. that, that like they, I mean, because they have to ship to so many platforms that it's all HTML5 based. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, their QA team must be amazing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. They probably that's have a like a QA
0: warehouse of like, <laughs> I mean, I so I, I recently got my first smart TV. And mm-hmm. so, like, that means my TV has an operating system which is an interesting concept. <laughs> and I don't even know what operating system it runs. Like it's some like Sony operating system, but like, I kind of want to know like what kernel does my TV run on? Like what, like what's underneath this operating system? Cause they don't, they aren't, they don't really, there's not like a core operating system across smart TVs. As far as I know, that'd be an interesting thing to find out. Yeah. But I really don't think so. I think they're all proprietary kind of like, um or if oh. they do, it's probably is more an- analogous, to, like, Android distros.
1: hmm Yeah, I don't know. I From what I've heard with smart TVs, like, the funny thing is the people designing the operating system and all of the APIs that you get are really not concerned about how easy it'll be to program with, because, like, how often does someone need to write a new app for your TV?
0: Yeah, so, that's a like great that. question, except that it turns out.
1: <laughs> turns out that happens kind of often. Hmm, Yeah. I uh, so I have not used, like started looking into using writing a bridge for React on other platforms. Although I have seen some stuff going on with React Native Desktop for Mac that I'm like kind of excited about. Um, yeah, I think the last like weird place for programming that was uh, uh, some years back when I was dipping into like Game Boy programming, and I kind of want to get back to that. But then I would be back to playing on my Game Boy all the time, which might not be what I want from life. <laughs> I
0: mean. Uh... It might not be a bad thing. Just going to say that. And, it, like, <laughs> what version of Game Boy? Are we talking, like, Game Boy Color? Or are we talking, like, older? Or are we talking, like, the new Game Boy and not from the past? Because I was obviously thinking of 1997.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, so, a few years back when I was messing around with this, I was mucking about on my Nintendo DS. So like, Yeah, know, DS. Sorry,
0: it's not called Game Boy now. So, okay, mm, I wasn't totally
1: right, right. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but and i I've been also like collecting a bunch of old game boy colors and things when I stumble across them. I don't know what project for yet, but I want to do something with that. We'll see. Um, I'm part of a hackerspace in Brooklyn and being surrounded by people doing cool shit makes me always want to start projects. Um, that sounds so like should... a, that's
0: a really healthy environment though like oh, it's
1: awesome. it's the best.
0: <laughs> that's so cool. yeah, you're at resistor,
1: right mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like last week I was starting work on like some piano stairs because I should really install some piano stairs and resistor. Um and I'll probably do those next week. Can you describe
0: <laughs> what you mean by piano stairs? Just so we can give people like a a you know, a visual language <laughs> to imagine <Yeah>. piano stairs.
1: <laughs> um so by piano stairs, what I mean is so each staircase, uh each step on the staircase is a different note so that you can run up and down the stairs and make music. Um, and I so I actually had installed a set of these uh, back in college um, as part of a hackathon. And so I still have, like, I have actually, I posted an Instructables link and all the code and how to set them up and stuff. Um, and some people have made their own and then sent me videos, which is great. Oh, cool. Um,
0: could, you, uh, could you give us a link for the show notes for that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, the funny thing is that the version I did last time, you can't run it 24-7. It eats through energy. It's super inefficient because it uses visible light for the sensing. Ah, uh, um, okay. So I'm working on an infrared version. <laughs> Ooh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like, I say that I'm going to do fewer projects in 2016. And then and you we're... talk
0: about, like, such cool ideas.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then life is exciting, which is exactly, you know, how I like it, so...
0: Honestly, I mean, that's kind of – I mean, we we did a little – we did our, like, 2015 review and goals for 2016 episode. And I I, I think of it as I'm saying no to more things in order to create, like, with the realization that I am incapable of not doing things. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's really – the truth is that it's really to get rid of other things in order to make space for something else that I don't know what it is yet.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm totally on board with that. Um, Like – you know, I want to choose to deliberately fill my life with the things I want to do, uh, which means saying no to things. I have um, a former professor of mine, actually, uh, Jen Rexford had this great thing she used to say about how you should have a no coach, which is a friend who you call up when you want to do a thing. And you say, friend, should I do the thing? And they say no. And then if you <laughs> actually want to do the thing, you have to You'll argue. yourself. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> actually, I'm pretty sure that's what my partner does. Like He's like, <laughs> He's like, because his, you know, perfect afternoon, he's more introverted. So his perfect afternoon is just playing video games in the house. And, like, I'm very social. And so he's like, why do you want to do things? Like, why don't, you know what you could do instead? Hang out in the house and not do things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, video games totally count as things.
0: Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I don't. I mean, yeah. I don't. I'm not that into gaming, and also, like, I think he would say, like, he's not, like, he's not a modern gamer. Like, I don't think he ever plays a game that's newer than ten years old. So Mm, interesting. And he like, I don't even know. I just, I, I, like, he has like various different absurd goals of like, I'm going to, you know, approach it the game in this way for this time that I'm going through the game because he's played so many of them multiple times. But I don't know. And he re- is really into, like, the Let's Play stuff, but he would never mm-hmm. make his own. But, like, do you, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, Let's Play, it's like these, like. The recordings, right? Yeah, they're like video video recordings or just sometimes text text things of, like, commentary and funny stuff of, like, let's play a video game and, like, walk through it together. Huh. <laughs> There's, like, a huge, huge
3: culture around
1: it. Yeah, I've never gotten super into that, but I've I've seen some of them.
3: I beat the witness.
2: So if someone doesn't, that the the game you were talking about last time. Yeah, I'm so excited.
0: Um, <laughs> Jovan, you're about to say a thing.
2: Uh, so if someone doesn't know anything about mobile development and uh, they wanted to pick a path to move forward, would you pick React? Would you advise them to pick React Native, or would you tell them to learn? the native language for the platform?
1: Um, I think it would really depend on their background and why they want to get into mobile development. Um, like, if I was going to talk to somebody who had never done any kind of programming before, I would probably say start with, um, like, ordinary app development, like Swift on iOS or Java on Android, like pick one. Um just because, you know, you're going to have some extra overhead of managing multiple tools. Um, But if you have, like, any programming, any kind of prior programming experience, regardless if it's mobile or web or something else, um, then I would say that you should really, really be looking at React Native. Um, Like, I think there's huge benefits to being able to do iOS and Android at once without sacrificing quality. Um, It's also just, like, so much more pleasant to work with, at least for me. Um, Like, the fact that you get like the web developer's benefits of like instant refresh to look at your new code, um, is super cool. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I think it, ev- like as with everything, right? Like it depends yeah, on your circumstances, but um... yeah, I think for most people like react native is a really solid choice. And especially if you're doing this in the a professional context of like, you know, you have a product that you want to launch. Um, I think react native is even more of a solid bet. Um, because it, it eliminates the whole feature silo problem where you have divergence between web and iOS and Android. Mm, yeah. Great point. Is, is feature silo like a, a mobile term? <laughs> um, I may have just made that up. People talk I don't know. About I like it. Between, <laughs> yeah. People talk about silos between different kinds of developers or different kinds of professions within a company, right? Um, and when you're all working on what should feel like one unified product, um, it's kind of awesome if somebody like who works on the web product can notice a bug in the iOS version and immediately know how to jump in and fix it um, or like you know switch between projects as like from week to week like that's really cool.
2: Do you know of any big teams that have migrated from like iOS only to using React Native?
1: Um, I think Palantir has a pretty good blog post about this, actually, of all people. Um, because the cool thing is that with React Native, you don't have to go whole hog. Um, like you can create, you can immediately start incorporating it into your app and have sort of this hybrid version going on. Um, so I think what they did was they had an existing, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Palantir. Uh, they had an existing iOS and Android app. Um, and then they, like, quietly started adding some React Native stuff into it. Um, And, like, they're planning on migrating everything over to React Native, but, like, for the time being, they build new things in React Native, and they do what they have to do uh, to keep the hybrid stuff working together. Um, But it's, you know, you can do the gradual ramp-up, which is nice. Um, And, like, did you see, did any of you see, like, the Facebook apps, like, Friends Day thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, the generative, was that a generative video thing? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure on mobile that was React Native inside the normal main Facebook app.
0: Oh, which is not all React Native. Exactly. Yeah. Ah. That's that almost that does almost sound like bringing, like web components type things to mobile. Mm-hmm. Is kind of the idea.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like the nice thing about like the whole component based thing, right? It's like it's you know, whatever buzzwords you want to attach to it, it's declarative, it's functional, whatever. Um, that means that it can sit alongside really easily whatever existing stuff you have. You don't have to do this gigantic Herculean task of porting all of your legacy code. Um, so that part's pretty great.
0: I just, I just had a moment where I was sad that, like, all code that is previously written is called legacy code. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think legacy code was the joke. It's code that was not written by me. <laughs> yeah, it's just – it makes me sad. Yeah, I mean, it's – yeah, it's not like my favorite of our like cultural ticks when it comes to talking about things. For um, sure. It's ideally like if I inherit or whatever a bundle of legacy code, then I actually learn how it works so that it's no longer legacy code to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know where some of these names for things come from. Uh, like I really want to read more like anthropology of coding kind of things.
0: Oh, I mean, there there is some stuff on that for sure.
1: I mean, yeah. the thing
0: that comes to mind is the the information, the a history, a theory, a flood, of which yeah. I've read half. <laughs> <laughs> However, that half was like four hundred pages, so <laughs> I'm proud of that half.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it, it is stuff that I do read and enjoy reading, but it's always just like, uh, you know, I always want more. <laughs> yeah.
2: What is this?
0: Um, the. The book I mentioned, yeah, it's called uh, "The Information" um, by James Gleick. Uh, It has an awesome cover. It does have a pretty badass cover. Um, Also, it is is currently really hard to Google um, because it's called "The Information." (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, so it's about the history of information, which turns out to be, you know, the history of computing.
2: Uh, It looks like plants. That are actually plugs or cables, right?
0: Uh, the cover I see looks like a, um, what do you call it? An optical illusion. Mm. This is, uh, as the author, author of Chaos. Apparently, apparently James likes, you know, business is to write books about nouns. <laughs> um, but he writes very good books. Um, like, and I, so I got to the first part and the first part of the history of information is it gets you up to, like, 1940 or, like, 1950 or so. So the second um, half of it is, <laughs> you know, ergo, <laughs> after <laughs> 1950. I wouldn't know because I haven't finished it. And I, I hate that thing where, you know, you – like, you haven't read a book in a long time, so you pretty much have to start at the beginning. Yeah. Like, I have to do that for a few very fat books, like Anna Karenina and – um it's another very fat book. Oh, um the – the book about British witches. <laughs> 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 Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, I believe. Yeah. Something like that. that
1: it's a very bad I book. read that one? It's, it's a large book.
0: Like, someone yeah. loaned it to me. And, you know, like, when, you know when people I, – like, I, I feel guilt when people loan me a book and I, like, haven't given it back. Or I tried to give it back and they've actually refused to let me give it back because I haven't finished it. That's happened. <laughs> and, like, I – at this point, I, like, can't mail this back because that book is so big. Like – it would cost, like, $20 to mail it, like.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm. It's funny what you said about uh, that guy writing basically books about nouns, because I feel like that is definitely a genre of book and oftentimes, like, pretty funny. There's a book on my reading list right now, like, you know, my massive Goodreads queue, um, that's just called, like, The Footnote. <laughs> <laughs> yes, books about nouns. Um, um
2: so you didn't know Scala before, right? Or did you know some of it? Or What was your um, Scala knowledge?
1: I did not know Scala. Um, I I have a tendency to sort of pick up things, like to deliberately seek out things where I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing going in. Um, but like
2: could, uh, before could you talk I... A, can you talk a little bit about how you slash your team sort of helped you to uh, start being, sort of to learn it mm-hmm. quickly?
1: Yeah. So, Twitter is actually, um, has a lot of really solid Scala resources. Um, as you would expect, because there's a lot of people who come to Twitter not knowing any Scala. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, I had enough experience in other languages that I wasn't particularly concerned. Um, so it's a mixture of, like, my whole first week was, like, a class, basically. Um, like, for all engineering new hires, actually, we go through, like, this Twitter bootcamp. Um, which is cool. Uh, so there was that they've got like all these recorded lectures, they've got all of these like tutorials that you can walk through at your own pace. Um, but for me and my team, like the biggest thing was probably just getting some tickets to start with, um, and then sitting down and pairing with some of my team members for a while. Um, and for me, that's like the, the the best way that I internalize stuff is to actually work on it. Um, so that's what I've been doing.
2: (laughs) Um, so sometimes people ask me these questions like, do you think you need to know the entire, I guess, whatever your team is working on, whatever service, the entire mm-hmm. service before you start contributing? Or do you, are you able to, uh, sort of like zoning on what the ticket is for and work on that? Like, what's your process for? Yes. Like, like knowing what you're doing. Kind of? So
1: I'm on the user service at Twitter, which is Basically, the service that provides uh you know the whole idea of a Twitter user and information about that user object, so you know definitely not something that other clients touch <laughs> um, so because of that, there's a lot of interactions with other layers of the Twitter stack um so. To say understand all of it, like I'm not sure that that's a desirable state of being even. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more like I should have enough of an idea of what's going on to know how to find out the information I need. Um, So as like a new member of the team, um, you know, that means that I should be able to pick up tasks that are small and well scoped and then go ask my other team members, um, you know, for the information I need. I really enjoy working on collaborative teams, so like, I think someone who's been on the team for like a month is definitely not going to have enough of an understanding uh, to tackle any arbitrary task, Um, but I should know who to ask, right? Uh, So that part's been really good. It's also the first time I've worked on a team that's like geographically split. Um, There's some of us in New York and some of us in San Francisco, and it's been pretty cool to see how that works out, actually. It's pretty nice.
2: Do you guys treat it as a distributed team, or do you treat it as, like, New York and San Fran? or? What do you mean? Since, like, some of you are on-site in New York, is the team treated as a remote team, or is it treated as there are two parts of the team, one, like, different locations? Mm.
1: So, I mean, Twitter is fairly, like, headquarters-centric in the sense that, like, Uh, San Francisco is like the base of operations. Um, and so it's the New York team that flies out once a quarter to go to San Francisco and not the other way around, um, Mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, but like, like for example, the tech lead on my team is in New York. Right. So, um, I mean, we are a remote team, I guess, except we're also in like a very large Twitter office. So, um, like, I don't know. Culturally, I don't feel like I'm being treated like I'm just a remote person or like I'm super far away. It's like, no, we ha- we also have a strong center of gravity here. But I think like good VC systems are probably the biggest factor in that feeling, in like closing that distance.
2: So what's next for you in React Native? <laughs> You're going to try closer script with React Native?
1: I am super excited to try that actually. It looks really cool. <laughs> um first I want to learn Clojure actually um, for musical programming reasons. Um because Super Collider is supposed to be really neat. Um and that's closure-based. Uh but yeah, no. Um for my immediate plans with React Native tomorrow I am actually giving a talk at Hack Summit about it. Um so, I should do that. <laughs> um, do you know, and then I have, are
0: the Hacksamit video like, will the, the recordings be released after the event?
1: or? Um, I'm not sure. I forget what they did last year. I think it was still accessible after the event, but it took a little bit of, like, hoop-jumping to get to them. So, I'm hoping that they'll release the video. Um, still need to talk to them about that. Cool. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then other than that, I've got some, like, workshop stuff planned, so I'm gonna probably kick off a series of uh, react native workshops in New York soon uh, which should be fun so
0: under yeah. what under like yourself or
1: <laughs> yeah for fun um. okay cool <laughs> and if
0: you're going to partner with an organization
1: so I really enjoy teaching. Um and also I am classmaster for NYC resistor, which is my hackerspace.
0: Oh right. So, so yeah, so you can yes, at a hackerspace that is a thing
1: that happens. <laughs> I- yeah, we have we have lots of classes. So like this weekend we had a DIY gold plating class um for the Apple Watch and other jewelry. Um and then we had a knitting workshop, which I led. Um and, yeah, so we have everything from, like, programming-based classes to laser cutting mm. to knitting. We have, like, a hydroponics class coming up. Like, most things fall under the umbrella of, yeah, totally go do it. Nice. Well,
2: I saw you are knitting a uh, thing for your hand, like a metal, uh, I don't know what you would call it. But are you finished mm. with that?
1: Uh, my gauntlets of plus 10 coding, I think that was the... Uh. Yeah, the moniker one of my coworkers gave them. Um, I'm not done with that actually, because I got distracted by knitting a hat.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, but yeah, I was working on that. I should probably finish that project.
0: So it's about that time to do picks. So, um, so at the end of the show, we pick a thing, and that's the picks for the the show. Uh so I'll go first uh, and then we'll we'll let you go last Bonnie in case you need mm-hmm. to scramble. <laughs> um but uh so I'm going to pick uh jot.io which is jwt.io um which is you know pronounced jot apparently uh, J about JSON web tokens. Um huh. so I recently was learning about how you use JSON web tokens and uh this site from uh what is it, Otho, whatever, some company, <laughs> um, is a really nice educational tool to help you learn about JOTs and, you know, decode them. Lots of information about, like, support on various uh, language libraries, platforms, uh, for the different encryption mechanisms and stuff like that. Um, so really useful for trying, if you find yourself in the position to understand how to use uh, JOTs.
2: It's super well designed too.
0: It is very pretty. Like it's like it's one of those like very pretty tools in that like it's a little suspicious. It's like what, why, is <laughs> like, and they aren't actually selling you anything. It really is just like a nice educational resource. Although there is really get a cool. T-shirt button, which I guess gives them money if you want, uh, you know, a sweet JSON Web Token T-shirt.
1: <laughs> nice,
0: yeah, it can be yours. Uh, Javon, you got something?
2: Uh, yeah, I felt like I had a lot of picks before. No. But, uh, my music pick, I'm totally saying this, the name of the song right, wrong. Um, but it's bang data. But I think they say data differently. Data. Uh, data. Maybe. No, no, no. <laughs> I heard it. Like,
0: how a, many no, no. ways?
2: <laughs> it's, uh, you, you'll hear it. Um, okay. It's for Breaking Bad. That was more episode breaking down. And then, uh, my program pick would be the Elixir docs. I've been writing a lot of Elixir and having to look up a lot of things. And the docs are also well designed and organized. And I think they do a good job, uh, for a new language or a newware language, uh, just getting you started. So Elixir docs, if you need something. That's it. I will post that.
0: Uh, Justin,
3: um, look at my my GitHub stars. Uh, there's a utility called Maybe. Uh, it's at GitHub.com slash p dash w slash maybe, and uh, similar to like S Trace when you're trying to like figure out what a program is doing, usually when it's stuck. Uh, like what kind of like um system uh, calls isn't making maybe is similar in that it you run it with a program and it, it tells you what the program's going to do before it actually does it so if you did like maybe uh i don't know like move this file from this file it would like show you the system calls it's about to make so it's kind of interesting if you don't know what a program does or if you're like uh weary of running it uh it seems like be useful utility
0: this is really nice i really like the colors yeah i really appreciate when people make bash tools that
3: yeah me too
0: it makes such a difference. Oh, yes. It's so nice. Uh, Len, are you about to give a pick?
2: Uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I had to run out in the middle of this call, but I don't know if you all mentioned Exponent for React Native. Oh, no. hmm. Uh Yeah, so uh, I think one of the interesting use cases for React Native is if you have an app that you want to be able to update and have control over when you update it, uh, this Exponent library lets you do over-the-air updates. And that's one of the things
3: that React Native uh, lets you leverage. Oh, wow. Yeah. There are a bunch of
2: tools like this. I was surprised when I learned about them. I think
1: Exponent and Code Push are the main ones right now, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, There are are a couple of them on the reactnative.com site. Mm -hmm. They're in beta. So, uh, exponentjs.com. Len, are you going to do any uh, React Native stuff for your cast? I'm still learning it. I'm still really, really new to it. So I'm messing with the routers right now. Mm.
1: Yeah. And Bonnie? Um, so I think, can I have two picks? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I think my first one is going to be uh, something that I just finished up fairly recently, which is Duolingo's Esperanto course. <laughs> um, like you which, finished, like, you went to the end? I made it to the end of the Esperanto course and I am now conversational in Esperanto um, and I did it with a friend um, and we now have most of our conversations together in Esperanto. <laughs> so that part was really great. Um, Can you fill people in
0: uh, who don't know what Esperanto is?
1: Yeah, it is a constructed language. Um, it's about a 100 years old. Um, it's got like 2,000 native speakers and between 200,000 and 2 million speakers right now. Um, it kind of sounds like a generic romance language. So it's very entertaining to speak it or read it or whatever in public and watch people come over to you and be like, sorry, was that Italian or French or Spanish or Czech or Polish or <laughs> Um, what people think it sounds like depends on what languages they already know. Um, but it's it's really fun and is super, super easy to learn. So that was really great.
2: <laughs> Can you say something on the podcast, if you don't mind?
1: Um, uh, yeah, mi povus paroli said, mi ne niam kion mi devus paroli. And what so does that mean? Was, <laughs> so that was me <laughs> saying, yeah, I could say something, but I never know what to say. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. Perfect. I was um, kind of hoping for a turn Complete is the best podcast ever. <laughs> Ah, twin Play Tesla podcast NGM. Excellent.
3: Thank
1: you. Um, woohoo! Yeah. Um, and then the other one, uh, I'm going to do a cop out and say my book, which Yay. you can also check out on Amazon uh, or O'Reilly.com. Um, and so that's Learning React Native. Uh, it's available in print and ebook. If you buy it from O'Reilly, um, it is DRM-free for the ebook. Um, and also you can get a discount with the code off 40, which is 40% off. Yay. <laughs> nice.
2: Yay.
0: All right. Thanks. Uh, and, uh, for the rest of you all, we'll talk again soon. Great. Thanks so much for having me.
3: Absolutely. Thanks so
2: much.